The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornway. And I'm Ryan Hastman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're also joined by our producer, Adam Rosenhart, and we're recording this episode on July 22nd, 2018. This episode, we're going to talk about the Derek Fildebrandt party. Disgruntled MLA Derek Fildebrandt joins and now leads the Freedom Conservative Party of Alberta. What is it? Why is he doing it? What impact will it have? Does anyone care? The Council of the Federation. Seems like there was little consensus on anything. Doug Ford and Scott Moe are still fighting the carbon tax. Will anyone else join? Does anyone care? A federal cabinet shuffle. Edmonton MP Amarjeet Sohi gets the pipeline file as Minister of Natural Resources, but there's still no cabinet spot for Randy Boissonneau. And we'll talk a bit about what the heck Stephen Harper is up to lately. But before all that, let's delve into some nomination and political gossip. Well, you look pretty happy today, Ryan. What, uh, what's, what's up? Well, happy July 22nd to you both. Today is uh, Unity Day, as we call it on the right. So exactly one year ago today, the Progressive Conservative Association and the Wild Rose Party voted to merge and to form one central united conservative party. Uh, I guess Derek wasn't fully on board at the time, but we'll we'll talk about that later. But yeah, it's been quite the year. You know, the thought that um, used to just be theory or it used to just be a dream. And now we are getting into nominations. We've already got a slate. I think, well, you would know, but maybe a dozen or 20 candidates in addition to the incumbents are now nominated, and things are going pretty well. The financial report came out. Uh, I think we can now compare apples to oranges. I'm surprising you with this topic because we didn't pre-discuss it, but I think the UCP came out well ahead of the NDP when you compare CAs and central results. This is the Calgary Lougheed by-election report. Is Which that what you're I, talking about? Well, I still don't understand why that's the hang up on the provincial reporting, but yes, I think okay. so. Now that we know all 87, Central and CA, and we have the financials in for everybody. Uh, so I guess my point is it's been a great year for the United Conservative Party, and things are looking pretty good. You know, there's always some hiccups, and we'll talk about a living hiccup later on, but I don't think either of the other, any of the other parties would trade spaces with where the UCP is at. So congratulations, friends. We've made it one whole year as a United Party. Oh boy, that's going to annoy our NDP listeners. Uh, well, this is my role, I think. It, it's 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 well, and you're you're doing it well. Uh, it, it's been a it's been a a good year for the UCP, but it hasn't necessarily been a great week for the UCP. Uh, going into, I think Jason Kenney's holding a big rally tonight, but in Edmonton to celebrate this one year of of the of the two parties coming under one. Uh, but he's doing that with one less caucus member. We had Prab Gill who left, kind of whether you know was told, I, I suspect, was probably told to leave the UCP caucus or or, uh, or he would be, uh, you know, forcibly removed from the UCP, UCP caucus. That's my speculation. Um, after it was revealed, or after after a report that hasn't been released yet, but a report into potential ballot stuffing or, or mishandling of, of ballots at the Calgary North, uh, or Calgary Northeast uh, founding AGM. meeting. It, yeah, it was the founding meeting. They it were wasn't electing, even a nomination. Yeah, they were electing the sl- their slates of of, uh, of executives in the Calgary Northeast riding, and there was a big uh, a big hoopla. There was a video that was posted on YouTube where there was some confrontation between uh, between uh, some party officials Did and you see a very that? active member. Yeah, I watched the video. Did you see it, Adam? It was 
I don't even know how to describe it. Unbelievable. It's you know what everybody everybody has a, a tape recorder, a video recorder in their uh, in their pocket now. So this kind of this is the kind of stuff that I mean I'm surprised that we haven't seen more of this kind of thing in Alberta politics, and I think we will. I mean these are these are hotly contested. I mean this is the the, the founding meeting of the of the district is kind of the uh, the lead up to the AGM, right? Or lead, lead pardon me, the lead up to the nomination meeting, and these are hotly contested nomination meetings. There's a belief that the you know, if you win in some of these Calgary ridings and most of the Calgary ridings, there's a belief if you win the UCP nomination, you've won the election. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So there's there is these there are these it's high know, stakes. It's high stakes. So there's there's nastiness. There's potential rule breaking going on, and that's what we saw. Apparently, what we saw in, in Calgary Northeast. But the report into it hasn't been released yet. But, yeah, like but, but an MLA has been left has has left the caucus. So so you know, bad things have happened. But we're not going to tell you what the bad things are. But yeah. we've but we've basically kicked out one of our MLAs. So I like how the NDP press release was three words: release the report. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, it's tragic. I mean, Prab Gill was actually a very popular guy, very affable, hardworking. He was in a you know, as safe a seat as you're going to get in Calgary, I believe. And I don't know the story, honestly. Obviously, something happened because he resigned quickly without much of a fuss. Um, it's sad, though. You know, he was in MLA only really for half a term because he took mm-hmm. over after Manmeet passed away. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. went in the, the Calgary Greenway by-election in 2016. Yeah. No, it, it's too bad. And then I'm assuming we're going to talk about Mr. S. Todd Beasley next. Yeah, let's let's talk about S. Todd Beasley. So, so I actually, it's not great. You know, obviously it's not great. And he is not the type of person that I want in the legislature or in my party. But I'm going to make the pitch that the system worked. We've, Jason Kenney set out in his leadership victory um, that there would be a new standard for this type of stuff, that anything that ru- risks the party's reputation or anybody communicating hateful beliefs or basically things that are bozo eruptions in in their past or in the present won't be tolerated. So it was not a great week to have this stuff come out. But the party acted swiftly. He was removed. He's not the nominated candidate. The one thing that would have been worse than it coming out this week is if it had come out later on or if he was an MLA. Or after he became nominated. Yeah, to give some context for our listeners... Uh, Beasley was asked by the UCP on like I think the day before the nomination vote to withdraw from the race and I think this was one of those you can withdraw voluntarily or we're going to kick we're going to disqualify you kind yeah. of kind of uh, requests uh, well, Janice Harrington's letter was publicized um, yes it was yeah yeah, and so his comments were the the party had found comments the UCP UCP had found comments uh, where Beasley uh, had on Facebook where he described Muslims as fools who are really worshiping Satan and and those who think a, a rational God would anoint a dark age pedophile warlord as his prophet, which is are just like totally horrible things to horrible. say. Did like, you hear the interview he did with Daniel Smith? Yeah, and then he defended his position. But it just illustrated how unfit for office he is. You but, know, I mean, I'm I'm just I guess, I guess I'm just shocked that the that the, the UCP found it like the day before the nomination meeting. I mean, good yeah. good for them for disqualifying him. It, but like, but like. Like that's really a really close call. No, I agree. I'm frustrated with the party that they didn't spot it. I know they're spending resources making looking into this type of thing. Part of the problem is just sheer volume. Um, Facebook's been around for 12 years, and everyone's on it. And there's you know 87 writings times however many candidates. But um, to to have that come out when it was so hateful, like we're not talking about things that are a little bit. Um, political, you know, like is 
Well, it, he, he was a, he's a climate change denier, but that didn't disqualify him. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to say, so like denying man's role, humankind's role in producing CO2 and what that does to macro climate change is at least within the parameters of mainstream political discussion. But when you're calling the Prophet Muhammad those awful words, like, what did he think would happen? You know, that's what I want to know. Even if he, and he seems to still believe it because he refused to say he doesn't believe those things. But even if he thinks those things, what does he think would happen the day he gets elected? Like as an MLA, like he would never escape those comments. Yeah. Never. So I said on Twitter, good riddance. I, I, I take it as a bit of a concern, but I also take it as this, um, just an example that the system is working sort of it demonstrates the high stakes here too for not only the ucp i mean i think it's worth pointing out probably the reason why the ndp aren't governing in ontario right now is at least partly because of bozo eruptions mm-hmm. among their candidates or maybe not even live eruptions but older Just past like comments yeah, yeah we saw that in, in the ontario election there was very little scrutiny of the ndp slate and when things were looking really bad the ford campaign came out with this um campaign saying meet your new ndp i think they called the cabinet or caucus yeah, yeah and it was the same thing so you know this isn't purely a conservative issue now any party that's based on populism and rural movements is always going to have a bit of a different flavor than those of us who live in the cities are comfortable with but you know this is like beyond that this is beyond that's yeah, way beyond it's that. beyond political it's beyond the parameters of normal debate and i say good luck um, Mr. Beasley, but I'm happy to see that you won't be part of part of my party. So speaking of another MLA who won't be part of your party, uh, Derek Fildebrandt. He was never part of my party. <laughs> well, oh, you, you guys are members of the same party. Oh, uh, Derek. So, so Derek Fildebrandt, the former Wild Rose MLA, former official opposition finance critic, the, the former wonder boy of the, or form, former boy wonder, sorry, of the... Uh, of the conservative movement in Alberta, I'll give that credit to uh, to David Kleinman-Hager, who wrote a post about how uh, Devin Dreeshin is the new boy wonder, replacing uh, replacing Derek Fildebrandt. But it used to be me, guys. Uh, be, maybe I was boy wonder at one point. You're too old now to be boy wonder. Way too old. So so Derek uh, banished. Uh, he he left the the UCP caucus and he was banished from ever running for UCP nomination, at least against Leela here in the new Chestermere uh, Strathmore riding, which he doesn't live in, by the way. Well, but but part of the riding he, re- he currently represents Strathmore Brooks, but doesn't live in. Well, we we can talk about. Didn't we talk about MLAs not living in their, oh, in no, their ridings and, already? Or? And I don't care. But the key to hypocrisy is not to use something where you are guilty of that same thing. Okay. I'll, sorry, I'm interrupting you. I'll get to my critique of Derek. So later. carry so, on. So anyway, so De- Derek Fildebrandt this week announces that he's he's joined and has become the interim leader of the Freedom Conservative Party didn't of Alberta. We, didn't we predict that name? Or did, I, did we predict the Liberty Conservative I think we predict the Liberty Conservatives because yeah. he's been calling himself They're United Liberty or something. F or Liberty Conservative. F also starts, Fildebrandt also starts with F. So when you name yourself the FCP, you get to also be the Fildebrandt Conservative. Do you think his conceit, that's part of his conceit? Absolutely. <laughs> Adam, what, what is your degree in? I've got a, a BA in psychology. Dave, what did you do? Political science. Oh, I'm trying to think of an example of a Greek tragic figure. <laughs> none, none of us took did, did, did a degree yeah. in classics. No, I didn't do a degree. Who combines this incredible talent and potential with this incredible self-defeat Isn't that the guy thing. who flew into the sun or yeah, something? Icarus, yeah, Icarus. Yeah. Yeah. Moronicus Maximus. Yeah. So has have, Derek Fildebrand flown into the sun? He, liter- he could have been premier. 
Honestly, oh, Derek, did, did the you, term, I don't know, man. See, I know what you guys think of him now, but when you watch him give a speech, like Derek at his best is a top-notch, pure-bred Arabian racehorse or whatever the analogy is. Like he is good, but he just can't get out of his own way. Yeah, yeah. Like he, Leanne was at a the Manning conference. I think the one you were at in Ottawa, and. The reports on the ground from there was Derek gave the best speech of the whole mm-hmm. conference. Like, he's super talented, but he just can't stop himself. Is it is it the difference between politicians who are in it for themselves and politicians who are in it because they believe in public service? Or do those politicians, does the latter even exist anymore? You have to be both. Yeah, but you, but you should be more one than the other. I honestly think, and I think this is a... A West Wing quote that you you have to believe you are the answer because it's yeah. so hard to do. Yeah. But your motivation also has to be at least grounded in public service because it's so hard to do. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> what what do we know about the Freedom Conservative Party? I, I did. Actually, I did, you know. I did. I, I you know I've been writing about the this this kind of this weird fringe party for the past few months, and all of a sudden it popped out and became topical, and I thought, oh great, I already I've already done all the background on it. So, <laughs> what so, was the name change sequence again? Okay, so this party it's not a brand new party. It was originally founded in 1999 as the Alberta First Party, and this was this party was. Uh, founded by, it was helped founded by Randy Thorstensen, who had been oh. the leader of the Social Credit Party in the 1990s right. when they had a bit of a revival in the, in the mid-90s. Now he's Alberta and, Reform Party. Yeah, he? now he's the Alberta Reform Party. So and, this is a different party. This is a totally different party. And uh, Rob Anders was involved in like the initial founding of this party. And, uh, and he was an MP at the time. He was an MP, yeah. Uh, and I think Stephen Harper had even like voiced his support oh, for come it, on, like Dave. back in 1999. Oh, this, is, this, is, this is after he'd left the first time he'd left politics. Voiced uh, his support. He probably no, no, said but, but, something but, nice about yeah, someone but 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 the Alberta First Party was originally trying to was trying to be originally what the Wild Rose Party ended up being. So hold on, so, this is not so, the so the Wild Rose Alliance was the combination of the Wild Rose. Party that came after and the alliance. That party. came later. That, that was that was another party that Randy Thorson. So this is not so credit no, no, no. or reform or no. Wild Rose or alliance. No, no, this is separate. Yeah, wow. yeah. So there's like there's a whole like I, I could do like a family tree. I'm gonna do a family tree. You could use my. Apple you know, what, I, I think I think Brock Harrison once suggested that I that I create a family tree of these right wing fringe parties you in should. Alberta, which I should because they're they're so fascinating and weird. What are those? And, an- and there's so many so many to like like yeah. track. You know those animations where it's a guy or a person writing on the whiteboard and you just see the. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. I need to find someone like who voiceover? can who can do that. Who can, can we do like, that, Adam? You can you can do that through like a like a web service. They okay, can, they so they'll make them these. for you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Look for uh, at DaveBird.ca. I'm, I'm gonna do a, 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 a cartoon family tree of the uh, of these cartoon parties. And Ryan, meanwhile, is hawking his Apple pencil, which okay. they're not a sponsor, man. We can't talk about them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you spend one hundred twenty-five dollars, we can we can call them the Macintosh pencils. There we go. Okay, carry uh, on. Okay, Sorry. so the back back to back to the Alberta First Party. The Alberta First Party founded in nineteen ninety-nine, didn't really have much success. It placed in I think in the two thousand one election, it placed a strong second or like a distant strong second in Carts and Tabor Warner, which is like the most right-wing riding in the province. Uh, and its leader at the time, John Reel who later would go and run for the Liberal Party leadership against Kevin Taft in 2004. Yeah. Anyway, that, that, 
we can talk a little bit about more about that later or Alberta not. Alberta politics. Uh, so it became the it was the party the Alberta First Party was renamed the Separation Party of Alberta in twenty two thousand four. Just to make it. Yeah, and it more became punchy. like a separatist party at that point, and okay. then it and it didn't have any success at all. Uh, and Do you then think they would bring Edmonton along in their separation plan. Uh, no. Yeah. I think Edmonton would uh, would be be like the uh, Berlin of uh, yeah the West Berlin of, <laughs> of Alberta, uh, and then in 2013 it was renamed again the Alberta First Party, and then in April 2018 it was renamed the Western Freedom Party. April 2018. April 2018. So a few months ago it was renamed the Western Freedom Party, and then last month in June 2018 it was renamed the Freedom Conservative Party. Derek was still in the caucus in April 2018. I think. Maybe uh, not. No, I don't think so. I think he left. Uh, let me just. No, August 2017 is when he left the caucus. Oh, okay. Let's but he wasn't the, allowed back in. Let's at edit that this point. part out. Yeah. So I wonder if the two had some sort of connection. But then they just renamed their name again. Yeah, and they just renamed it in June. They renamed themselves the Freedom Conservatives. And the, the new party. Uh, president when it became the Western when it the last time it changed in April 2018 from the Alberta First Party to the Western Freedom Party its president Bob Lafergie Lafergie I don't know I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly sorry Bob uh, had been involved with a group of people who were collecting signatures and there'd been I found a report in the Okotoks Western Wheel that they'd been collecting signatures to form another new party the year before called the Western independence party, which was a, which was an independence party for Alberta. And then that kind of disappeared. And then they appeared to take over or inherit or the Alberta first party. And then they changed the name twice in the past few months. And now Derek Fildebrandt is the interim leader and there will be a leadership race apparently in the fall to choose the permanent leader of the freedom well, conservative party. Now, there and, better and, be. Yeah. And, 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 and they, they, Fildebrandt described the party as uh, wanting to run candidates. They, they're, they're like an alternative conservative party, but they're only going to run candidates in rural ridings where the NDP doesn't stand a chance. So he spent right. his press conference talking about how bad the NDP was, but then said we're not actually going to run against the NDP in anywhere that matters. He's so uh, transparently <laughs> all about Derek. So, I mean, I assume that Derek Fildebrandt is going to run in Chestermere Strathmore against Leela here. Uh, where he doesn't live. Which is the actually the only riding where the Freedom Conservative Party has a like a, a registered constituency association. The thing about Derek and what makes him such a tragic figure is he could have been so much more. But, you know, when you see this same pattern occur again and again and again and again, the circumstances are always different. But after after a while, there's one common factor, which is him. So a while ago, the Wild Rose Caucus was fed up with Derek and he had a spat with the leader, Brian Jean. And if you recall, that was actually probably one of the things that set Brian's leadership really in a bit of a tailspin because mm -hmm. at that point, people still supported Derek out among the membership. But the common factor here, too, I think it says a lot when you look at people's peers and what they say, which is why when Connor McDavid won the Ted Lindsay Award, it makes me feel good because that's done by the players. The same thing happens here. Derek has no one from caucus speaking up for him. You know, he tried to get out of his this this hit and run thing mm -hmm. by saying he was with caucus and there's 22 people who can witness that he was there and not one of them were willing to speak up. If you talk to people behind the scenes who have worked with him, it's all about Derek. 
he's the most thin-skinned one, which is so funny. It's always hypocrisy, right? It's the opposite of what he pretends to be. He pretends to be this, you know, rough, tough, hard-nosed conservative. And he's like the most needy, the most sort of selfish one among the caucus. You know, I wrote down a little bit of a summary of his history. And just, I'm probably missing things. But the, watch for the common theme. His remarks about when that got him kicked out of the Wild Rose Caucus. So when Premier Wynn from Ontario was in town. The Airbnb thing and how he was bragging about the Airbnb situation, which made people wonder, well, why are you renting out your taxpayer-funded apartment mm-hmm. at all? Mr. Taxpayer Federation. The hit and run he tried to get out of by getting 22 very important people, MLAs, to vouch for him. Not a single one would. Um, you've talked about this a few times, Dave, but he was poaching. You know, there's it's it's always about Derek. There was also, someone just sent me a note that in the summer of 2014, the CTF, which still employed him at the time, had to issue three apology letters related to accusations about Jim Prentice. And so during the PC leadership. And Derek was shortly after that no longer part of the CTF. You know, it's just, Derek is... I honestly think he thinks of himself as a hero in a story, but he sees the story differently than anyone else does. And he just leaves a trail of people who won't speak up for him. Like when, when your peers are the ones who don't back you up, it says something because they're the ones who really know, you know, they're there when the cameras are turned off. So I think what Derek wants desperately more than anything is attention. And we're giving him attention right now. Not that we really matter. When the Conservative Party attacks him, I think he loves it. The The one thing that I'll say too, sorry, is that he probably will get a number of votes. I made a comment on Twitter about this, and I think I've refined what I mean. If you take the amount, the total number of votes that the FCP will get and divide it by the number of ridings they win, they run in, I actually think it'll be... F- like decent because they're only going to run in like five ridings mm-hmm. the most conservative people who are going to vote for s todd beasley you know those types mm-hmm. so he will get lots of votes i don't think he'll have any impact at all he's not going to win people there's no chance he's going to win a seat but you know it'll make things a little bit tough in one or two ridings for sure he's going to um vacuum up all the oxygen it, th- i mean the reporters love it right mm-hmm. they think this is great a conservative guy who's just willing to Someone called him a quote machine, and he is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a talent for that. He's an agitator. He's an esoteekanin, if you follow the hockey <laughs> analogy. But at the end of it all, it it won't matter. Well, I mean, in in, in I mean, at the end of the day, uh, well, I guess not not really the end of the day, but the beginning of the day. Uh, I, what I find interesting is Derek Filderbrandt and Jason Kenney come basically come from a similar place. You know, they may not they're at different stages in their political career and they're different politicians, but they both started their political careers as spokespeople for the Canadian sure. Taxpayers Federation. So they both have that kind of brand of But look at the uh, difference though. Jason took a tough assignment. He's a part is an institution guy. He's a no, party no, guy. No, but I'm saying they're they're in different parts of their political careers. I think Jason, Jason Kenny is is de- definitely a more refined. He's he's in a diff, definitely in a different position, but they came they basically yeah. come from this from the same place. Sure, young and, and if, CTF. Yeah, and if 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 Fildebrand had been a team player essentially. Right. I mean, he might have ended up oh, yeah. being in a position where in in, in 15 years or 10 years yeah. he could be He had he, the same talent. He could be sure. a senior cabinet minister. So but, him minus the narcissism. Yeah, yeah, basically. 
I, I think in terms of, I mean, I'm not, I'm not totally going to count him out about him not winning a seat, winning, winning, winning re-election in 2019. I think that, I mean, that it, it'll be interesting to see how the FCP, what role they play in the election. Overall, they're not going to have, I don't think they're going to have a, a, a huge electoral impact because they're not running in most of the seats in the province. What about the TV debate? But Well, that, that's another thing I want to talk about. So, so I guess two things. I think that having a, this is something that, that the UCP didn't, I don't think really anticipated a year ago when they formed is that they'd have to be contending with another right-wing political party. It's not a party. No, but, 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 it, but it has, but it has, it, it's the Derek Fildebrand party, but it exists, right? And he's, he's a quote machine and he's, and he's loud and he's going to make a lot of noise. So, it's going to force the UCP to, or what, what Derek's going to you know, to do is basically force the UCP to try to protect their right flank. He's going to pull them out on, on certain issues. It's, it's either going to protect them to, it's either going to force them to protect their right flank or it's going to allow them to moderate because he's going to be the right wing, kind of the right wing fringe. Yeah. But it's also going to force them to put money into and resources into ridings that they probably didn't expect to. If Derek Fildebrand That's runs true. in Cardston. Chestermere, yeah, yeah. If, if they won five or six candidates in rural southeast Alberta and southwest Alberta and they look like they're, you know, they have, they have some appeal, uh, the UCP is going to have to spend money and resources there in races that otherwise would have been a cakewalk and still might be a cakewalk, but they're still going to have to spend resources there. So in that way, it becomes an annoyance to the UCP. I, th- I think it's also a tremendous risk to the NDP. Like I, I can see because the media is going to pay close attention to Derek, that he has the potential to throw them off message during the campaign because they're going to feel like they have to respond to something. And absurd create narratives. Exactly. Yeah. Which will probably only appeal to the NDP base and not move any of those undecided votes. Yeah, Maybe. but I don't know. The Maybe. media knows who Derek is too. Like the Alberta Press Gallery, anyway. A lot of I, I actually don't think we should think of the FCP as a party. I think we should think of Derek as an independent. It's not a real party. No one's ever heard of some of these parties. They're vaguely aware that there's a bunch of fringe right wing parties. It's about Derek. I think he's going to be much more like Brent Rathgaber at the end of it all than he is going to be like some sort of new emerging party. Because I think back to my central thesis, people don't think about the local candidate that much. So being the FCP candidate in some other writing other than Derek won't give them any brand advantage at all. Unless he's there stumping. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But or, he's... Will he? I, yeah, I guess Yeah, he will. Like he's yeah. literally got nothing else to do. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's well, what he would love to do. So. Or if he makes it into the leader's debate. And that's, well, and that's that, another question. Is, is, so know, is there a precedent for that? I mean, a single MP party? MLA ML- party, sorry. There, There's... The the precedent, the, I mean, the thing is, there's no real rules around it, around who gets to participate in the uh, in the televised leader debate during an election. So when we look at past elections, it's totally inconsistent. So at the provincial at level. the provincial level. So we have going back to uh, the last or the last provincial election. Or I'm trying to think back. So the last provincial election, we had uh, Rachel Notley, Jim Prentice. Brian. Brian Jean, Owen and Swan, David Swan, yeah. right? So you had the four four leaders, and the Alberta Party was not allowed in, not allowed to join. Uh, Did they have an MLA at the? They time? didn't have an MLA at the time. They had in the previous election. They'd had an MLA who'd crossed from the Liberals, Dave Taylor, who right. didn't run for re-election. But then they weren't allowed. They, they still weren't allowed to join the leaders' debate. Uh, going back to, I want to say the two thousand. 
2000 or 1997 election. This is the interesting one that kind of creates create creates the situation where there's no real precedent. Is is there were two parties going into the 1997 election, the Liberals and the PCs, who had seats in the legislature. So you had Ralph Klein and Grant Mitchell. You had Pam Barrett, who was the leader of the NDP, who had been an MLA in previous years, but the NDP had no seats in the legislature. They she was none. allowed in the debate. They didn't have any going in. The NDP lost all their seats in the 93 election. So then Pam Barrett, and she'd retired, she'd not, she didn't run for re-election in 93, so then she came back and became the party leader. Also allowed in the 1997 leaders debate was Randy Thorsonson, who was leader of the Social Credit Party. Really? Yeah. Who The Social Credit Party, which hadn't had any seats in the legislature since, I think, 1979 or something. And they, they experienced, I think they got like 7 or 8% of the vote in the 97 election. They had a real, like, it was a real uh, wow. resurgence for that party because they'd come from nothing after for, decade, for like a couple decades. Uh, and then I'm trying to remember back to the 2004. I don't think that Randy Thorstenson was allowed to was invited to to debate in the 2004 uh, leaders debate when he was the leader of the then Alberta Alliance Party. Um, but like you said, there's no rules. The media will decide because they yeah. host it and they want eyeballs. Yeah, which all tells me that Derek will be part of it. Well, but but there's also the the precedent from and this goes we're going way back, but to the 1982 provincial election where I believe there was no televised leaders debate because one of the opposition members and one of the party leaders was by someone by the name of of Gordon Kessler who was the Western Canada Concept MLA for Olds Didsbury. So, so they just said no debate. Well, at Peter Lawhey didn't want to debate him. Didn't want to give him the give him a. Uh, platform. A platform, right? So the other, I think the other, there were there were two kind of holdover Socreds who were independents running, and then there was Grant Notley, who was the NDP uh, leader and NDP wow. MLA at the time. But uh, yeah, Lahi didn't want to give share the podium with uh, or yeah. share a stage with a separatist MLA. So they there's there's a scene, there's a great photo, and you can Google it, uh, and uh, and a great story during the '82 election where Kessler was like following Lahid around like to to different like events and trying to like debate him and when the media would be around and Lahid would kind of be this kind of charming charismatic like oh great to see you now thanks for coming and then like move on into the crowd kind of thing and and I mean I guess good for the guy for trying to get some attention but uh, but Lahid was just like you know the giant of politics back then so yeah. going back to the leaders debates there's no real precedent and it, and it's not like we it's not like the United States where there's like a commission right. that decides these kind of things and there's rules like this is all about negotiations between the parties and the party leaders and the the television come the media companies right. and them deciding who they want in and who they want out. I could see that be, being pretty appealing to have someone like Derek Fildebrandt on stage because I think he would definitely make things a little more entertaining. He would give them quotes uh, oh, yeah. in what otherwise might be a boring leaders debate. Well, you have Rachel Notley v. Jason Kenney, so that yeah. won't be boring. But you're right; it'll add some spice. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is 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 I mean. We'll have to wait and see how the two leader, the two main party leaders, I'm talking about Rachel Notley and Jason Kenney, how they approach the leaders' debate. Well, I'm sure Rachel would love to have Derek there just to say crazy conservative stuff, and then she can just totally. say, she can position herself as not like all those crazy Well, guys. and this might be a reason why someone like Jason Kenney wouldn't want to have a televised leaders' debate. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a prediction here that the UCP is going to push really hard to not have Derek Fildebrandt join the leaders televised leaders debate in the 2019 election to the point of Jason Kenney might not participate and there might not be a televised leaders debate. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor this week, the Edmonton Community Foundation. Edmonton Community Foundation is actually the creator of a really outstanding podcast called the Well Endowed Podcast. And rather than have me explain it to you, 
we are going to get uh, two of their hosts to tell you a little bit about the show. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. The Council of the Federation meeting was held this week in New Brunswick. It seemed, and it seems like there is really little consensus on anything coming out of this meeting. We'd expected a kind of a big fight over the carbon tax. Doug Ford has recently been elected Premier of Ontario on a, on a platform to repeal or fight the carbon, the federal government's carbon tax. Uh, and a lot of hoopla had been made the, over the past couple of weeks about how the Ontario government was joining the Saskatchewan government. Uh, led by Saskatchewan Party Premier Scott Moe to fight, launch a court, basically a legal challenge against the federal government imposing a carbon tax. We expected a big fight to happen, uh, or at least this to be a big topic of conversation, but apparently it wasn't. Um, Graham Thompson from Post Media wrote an article about how Rachel Notley was going to the going to the council meeting basically ready for a fight to, to defend the carbon tax, to defend Alberta's position, and when she got there... Doug Ford basically didn't even really want to talk about it. So, uh, I don't know, from a, from a conservative standpoint, Ryan, uh, I mean, you know, the UCP leader, Jason Kenney, has been, he does have a position on the carbon tax, doesn't he? He's, I, th- I think, I he, think uh, so. Yeah. I think we are against it. You sure? I think it will be repealed immediately, okay. Bill 1. Okay. He um, would or wouldn't repeal it. <laughs> uh. But it's interesting, Ford, having just been elected, maybe was more interested in building sort of some collegial relationships with all the premiers. You know, although Ontario um, is by far the largest player, the biggest economy, biggest population, he's still new to the table. He's still the new kid. And perhaps they had a chance to talk about other things or to, you know, just get to know each other. I mean, I think Scott Moe was still pretty clear about it. You're going to see if there's a new government in Alberta they will join the court challenge as well. Um, you know, my I guess my my comment with this one is this is what always happens at the Council of the Federation. Not much. There aren't usually very many deliverables. And there's reasons for that. There's there's political science reasons, you know, based on the structure of confederation and jurisdictions. But there's also just human reasons that you have 13 premiers with 13 agendas from three or four different parties. And it's really hard to come up with a consistent ask of the federal government. Which is why, you know, Pre- uh, Prime Minister Harper avoided these things. Other prime ministers have had varying degrees of enthusiasm about it. But when you get 13 premiers together, it's a pretty short list of things that they can all sign off on. The communiques for this is like the communique of the G20. It's like apple pie and we're all in favor of good things. But it's a pablum. Yeah, I thought in the in the... In the communique, I mean, we've seen what we've seen in, a, in the past couple Council of the Federations is they talked a bit about pharmacare. So they all agree that something needs to be done about prescription drugs. It's then they're moving forward in a certain direction, but it's not. But really, are they? not really. But it's not really clear what what action they're taking. But yeah. they all agree that you know prescription drugs cost too much money, and a lot of people aren't filling their prescriptions, and that's costing the healthcare system because it's expensive. Uh, it's like, well, then do it. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Oh, I agree. I think, and I think they should, and I think they should really press the feds. And I mean, the federal government has has been moving. I think been moving in that direction. See, but this is the issue. We all yeah. agree that we're going to press yeah. the feds. Wow. So it's what? like, well, why don't you find things that you guys control? So two of the like instead of talking about grandiose plans and national pharmacare, what or blame Ottawa. You know what two things are that they can do tomorrow, which I think are very important in holding the economy back? Interprovincial trade and labor standards and certifications. Well, they, they, did, they did talk about alcohol or liquor They sales. talk about yeah. it. Interprovincial trade, the point of a federation is free trade within confederation. In fact, that was part of the motivation originally. That, you know, we don't know about the Americans and the Brits and all this stuff, but let's be able to trade. They could fix that tomorrow. Why is it hard to import and export goods within Canada at all? Any good, zero. There should be zero barriers to internal trade. Same thing with labor standards and certifications. If you have your red seal in a trade in one province, as you carry over to the other provinces, the federal government doesn't play a role in those things, or maybe a minor role. But this is the problem. It's way easier to sort of just like blame Ottawa. And it's funny because as a conservative, I do tend to believe that the more local the government is, the better, the more responsive it is. But sometimes the provinces frustrate me because they don't want the solution. They want the fight. And I guess it's ironic because here in Alberta, definitely conservatives participate in this playbook of blame all. Mm-hmm. For sure we do. Mm-hmm. But so does Notley Well, that's Jason Kenney's playbook. Like he's not just running against Rachel Notley. He's running against Justin yeah. Trudeau. And it's a well-established playbook. Yeah. So all provinces do this. All premiers do yeah. it. But there are things. you, uh, The three of us could write a list of five deliverables that the provinces could achieve. And interprovincial trade is the biggest one for me. Do it. Yeah. One, one of the things that I thought was interesting coming out of this uh, council meeting, Rachel Notley wrote a, issued a statement. It was on her Facebook page yesterday, I think, or the day before about, and this is something that, I mean, will impact a lot of people, especially in Western Canada, is Greyhound. So it was announced last week or the week before that Greyhound, the bus passenger and, and freight service was shutting down in all of Western Canada and Northern Ontario and parts of Northern Ontario, except for a run between Vancouver and Seattle. And that's yeah. massive. There's a, there's hundreds of communities that are going to be just not serviced at all. And there's, I mean, there's other companies like Red Arrow and some smaller ones, but like, I, I think I saw a, uh, some numbers that said like Red Arrow services, like 20 or 30 communities in Alberta and Greyhound services more than a hundred. Like that's yeah. huge. There's, and I mean, that's something that has going to have like a real impact on a lot of people. And it's something that like, right premiers should be discussing because if you're the premier of bc alberta saskatchewan manitoba and, and ontario like that's going to have a real impact on communities in terms of people's ability to be able to move around send like in terms of commerce in terms of sending packages and send sure. and transport in terms of people being able to access health care for example or, or yeah. public services if you're from a small town and you have to take a bus down to the the regional center well i mean taking a greyhound would probably be much much cheaper than taking a taxi if you're on a few you're yeah. senior on a fixed income well camrose hasn't had greyhound service in a long time so it's an example of a community you couldn't you couldn't get between edmonton and camrose yeah without a private and solution yeah and i know the the government of alberta like one of uh, brian mason's big projects has been trying to work with rural communities and create rural transport projects and i think there are two projects out of camrose that are starting uh and i think the i think the pro i don't think these are government-owned projects i think they're working with smaller companies but there needs to be a something on a grander scale in order to to actually solve this problem i mean this is the kind of constant frustration i get as a as a westerner is that in ontario where you have such a dense population you have via rail you have viable train transit and it's and and, and it's used ottawa to kingston i think it was 22 bucks totally yeah so i mean that kind of kind of that 
south southwest ontario to montreal like it's 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 really viable but uh out in the west like we don't have train service really i mean you get the via that goes to vancouver you know you can yeah take, but it, it also costs a fortune yeah it costs a fortune and you can end up waiting for 16 hours in hinton for uh for the for the, tr- the, for the freight trains right yeah exactly but but so we don't have that and uh and I, I mean i think that's something that the premiers really could have focused on something that actually has a real impact on a lot of real people instead they, they function mostly as a lobby group for the federal government against the federal government the it seems Council like. of federation yeah yeah um, one of the one of the nice things that came out of the, that meeting was the visual of all the premiers, um, and you, so you've got this row of old white dudes and our premier, who is a white lady. It was just it was a neat contrast, and it actually I had a little pang of pride of being an Albertan that we are. And she knew that. Her, yeah, of yeah. course. Her her words were very carefully crafted. Which is hanging well, out with the guys. It was it was well said, messaged. Yeah. Why was that? I forget who it was. Why were some of them right behind her? That was uh, uh, Brian Pallister from Manitoba. He's like and, six eight. Yeah, and then I can't remember who the other one is, but like the two tallest premiers were. Was, like was it, it was a very poor. It seemed like a very poorly. Was it just a case of that was a weird photo, photo? or was that the official photo? Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to check. But, it, but that, that was the one that she that, that Notley tweeted, and the one I saw the most. The only basically the only photo of the premiers that I saw. So like it reminds me of that <clears throat> story that came out a few year, uh, after the last municipal election about how Edmonton City Council used to have. Like a, like a, I think it was forty five or fifty percent female, that and it's tough. I will admit, I feel unsure what I think because in each of those thirteen premiers, there's a story. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a story of how that particular person got there, what they had to overcome to achieve it. So you step back and you look at the macro, and yeah, it's it's not great. I think the three of us agree that there should oh. be more than one female there should be some all those hard-working old white dudes there should be some diversity of ethnicity some i mean it doesn't reflect canada no not clearly at all. but as so and this and getting back to the greyhound thing i have a very similar comment i don't know what to do about it other than encourage women to get involved at the grassroots level to do everything we can to write checks to door knock for women well, we're, we're going to, at some point very soon, we're going to have Lana Cuthbertson on the show. She's one of the founders of Parody Egg. She knows this issue inside and out. And I've sat down and talked to, with her about it. And one of the things that she tells me that seems so simple but isn't is that women need to be asked like half a dozen times. Yeah. Whereas but, men, we all have secret dreams and we're like, yeah, oh, we're all just like, okay, no, I mean, clearly yeah. I'm the right choice for right. this. But women have to be asked to run a lot. Yeah. Because they don't, I don't know. I don't know why. When they're balancing, they tend to balance more domestic uh, responsibility. Like, I totally agree. I think I'm leaning pretty far with you guys on that. I'm just saying for the other 12 premiers, they are there. They're valid too. Like, so it's hard for me. I don't know. I'm just admitting that they were elected by the body politic of their provinces. And the other thing that we're not seeing at that level is the makeup of the legislatures in those provinces and territories. But I suspect it would be similarly Mm -hmm. disproportionate to the population. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the solution isn't to worry about the premiers. I think the solution is to worry about nominations and the ground level and municipal council. Like eventually that will go up to premiers and prime ministers. But like, if we just worry about the premiers without worrying about the candidate slates and the cabinets, and she may, she 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 is also not completely a mark for diversity. Like, yeah, there's 
a lot of Canada not reflected in that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, she's she's a white lady for sure. But I, you know, I think that I don't, part of the solution here is that parties, every party, needs to set objectives for ensuring diversity. And it's not like people think it's tokenism when parties do that, but it's not. We need those voices at the table. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. with you. It's a it's a tough fight, like on the ground, because you're always talking about a person, mm-hmm. and you're at the end of the day, you're asking a dude to step back. And that's something that I will admit on this show that I've wrestled with over the last couple of years. And I like to think that I've evolved to the point where I'm somewhat more comfortable with that or have the confidence to say that I'm not the solution. But it, it just, I have some sympathy because it takes, you know, you don't recognize your privilege. You don't realize that um, the advantages you have are systematic because no, everyone's the, uh, Everyone is the hero, the protagonist of their story. Very few people actually have an easy life. So, what, like for me, and we've talked about this before, what kind of cracked the armor a bit was realizing that every challenge I face, my female friends and counterparts chase, uh, sorry, face, but there's additional things that I don't. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And That's it's, privilege. It's yeah. hard to smash someone in the face with that. You have to kind of show them. And it's not like I'm some sort of woke creature. But I think you have to show them that and let them draw their own conclusion. But the challenge for, I guess, guys like me or the three of us is what are we doing about it locally? Are we writing checks? mm -hmm. Are we door knocking? But I think you have to concentrate on all of it, though. I mean, having that photo with, I mean, yes, you need to, I mean, you need to, to, uh, we need need diversity in our city councils, in our legislatures, in, in parliament in terms of just regular MPs. But the the photo of you know Rachel Notley this one woman in this sea of old white dudes yeah that sends a powerful message well and think I, about Edmonton City Council yeah, yeah. no absolutely yeah, Edmonton City Council there you go there's there's like two women on Edmonton City Council analogy. yeah it, it's tough you look at it all but then you ask yourself does Andrew Knack not deserve to be there does Aaron Paquette not deserve and you know you go through the list it's this is a hard thing and as a conservative I think we are a little bit behind in realizing the merit of this. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying, let's let's focus on, let's continue to face it. I'm not saying bury it, but you know, we have to find a way for women to succeed. I I made a comment on Twitter. I think if all 87 MLAs were women, we'd probably have a better session than we oh, have ever had. Hand, ha- absolutely, hands it's, down. I I totally believe it's time. that. And the Me Too thing is part of it. Sure, Me Too goes both ways, but let's be honest, it's probably in the high 90 percent that it's men. Uh, abusing power mm-hmm. yeah. so that's the comment there that yeah rachel and the boys was a very she's very good she's very smart and the point she's making is is valid but what do we do and i guess you've said what you're going to do i know that i'm working to recruit and to encourage women to run and not just women but diversity of all types like where is someone in a wheelchair or yeah. where is someone with um any type of proportionate life to what the canadian population is there's, yeah. there's no there's no people of color in that photo at all and if you look at like, canada yeah. if you go to west edmonton mall mm-hmm. this afternoon or you go to never mind toronto if you go to red deer i mean it doesn't look like that group no it's yeah. true returning to the greyhound issue i was also going to admit that this is a tough one for me to wrestle with from an ideological or even a practical level so on one hand i agree that these communities being cut off from reliable and inexpensive public transportation is really bad you know for me here in st albert i live a different life than if people are 
uh, of low income and living in a rural community where the only way to get anywhere might be the Greyhound. But on the other hand, it's not Greyhound Corporation's fault. They said that their ridership has dropped by 40% since 2010, I believe. You know, it's, it's, it's not a private company's role to be the only safety valve and transportation mode for a community. So I guess what my friends on the left would say is this is a role for government. And I, I guess to preempt that, but let's get into it, is I rarely see government-run transportation utilities well. You know, look at BC Ferries. Look at basically every single example of a some sort of provincial transport network that a government runs. It, it's rarely good. So what do we do? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm of the belief that... Uh, that I mean, just like in our our large cities, uh, public transport transportation is a public service, uh, and I think you know we provide. I mean, Edmonton Transit. I mean, you can say what you want about Edmonton Transit, the Metro Line, uh, but uh, I mean, I think I think all it, of them though. O- OC Transpo's got the same reputational issues. Like, th- show me a, a well-run public transportation network, and I'm not saying this shouldn't exist. But there are always gong shows. Always. Yeah, I mean, but that, I mean, that can be worked around. They can, they can work that around. I think, I think what, what needs to happen is there needs to be a, and I think this is something that the federal government needs to be involved in. I think there should be a national transportation strategy. Ugh. I mean, you look at... I'm allergic to national strategy. Well, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get you some cream to deal with your allergy <laughs> or something. Uh, I mean, I think... You I say th- national I, strategy I, and I get a rash. You know, via rail in, in the, and that kind of transport in uh, in central Canada that's that's used, you know, that, that is, is used all the time by, you know, in terms of commuting, in terms of, of travel in, in those provinces. I really think that the, the federal government... Uh, whether the federal government leads it or something the province leads it, I think there does does need to be a, nas- a national strategy for for transport and and bus. I'm not saying that we should just start laying down rail everywhere here in Alberta to create a, a rail transport system, though that would actually be kind of cool. Uh, but I mean, yeah. in terms of filling the gap that's left when a you know a private company like Greyhound decides that it it, it it's time for it to move yeah. out. I mean, we're you're you're leaving a, um, a public service, a, a something that or something that the public benefits and that people need, you're leaving it up to the whims of the private sector. Well, the private sector has just said, the largest player in the private sector has said that this market is not, wor- is, is not worth us being yeah. a part of participating. And they've been in there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that the, 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 the go- government has a responsibility to step in. And well, I, would, I would like to see a provincial transportation system. I'd like to, as I said, a national transportation strategy. Um, but it can't, I mean, I, don't, I think the challenge it with, with it being pro- just a provincial system is that... Uh, you know, the transportation needs of Albertans don't end at the BC border or at the Saskatchewan border. Right. So you need a national strategy. Well, what, what happens right now with small town Ontario? So sure, we've talked about the VIA line, you know, from Quebec City to Windsor. But if you live off of that, is, is Greyhound continuing to... I think aside from northern Ontario, I think in northern Ontario they're leaving. But, so it's but a pop- part of the problem, too, is we have huge geographies and tiny populations, right? Yeah, it, it yeah. is tough. It's very tough. I mean, part of the issue that I think we have to wrestle with as conservatives is mm-hmm. understanding and appreciating people who live outside of the cities and what their lives are like and the challenges. And you know, not just looking down our nose, not just saying, "Well, you should move to, you should move to Edmonton then if you don't if you don't want to have to figure out how to get there." But on the other hand, it's going to be a really tough problem because of the geography and the population. Via rail, 
would probably never get built today. Mm. No, no, and, and I don't think I don't I don't think a real like a real transit system like they have in Ontario is, would would really function as well. Though I mean, I still do like the idea of a high speed train between Edmonton and Calgary, yeah. but that's another discussion. Me too. Uh, but it would never be done for viability reasons. It no, would be done because it's cool. Well, because it'd be awesome, exactly. Uh, uh, so Hyperloop. We should Hyperloop it. Yeah, man, Elon Musk's dastardly oh technology let's, in let's not bring elon musk into this seriously that guy so this is a real challenge it's actually a really interesting example of a public policy meets private sector challenge i don't I, see i don't think i don't think it is that complicated or, or it is or it is a big challenge if 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 they're private companies that want to step in and provide bus service between cameras and edmonton or between uh uh fox creek and grand prairie that's great they can do that but, but if it was but, viable they would so you're just saying you'd have to heavily subsidize it, but what what would that end up costing? Well, I don't know what the numbers would be, but if it's a service that people need and it's a, if it's a public service that people require, then I think it's something that the government should step forward and do. We, it's the same reason why same same reason why the city of Edmonton and the city of Calgary provide public transit systems because it's something that the population needs and it creates a functional creates a functional city. Well, if you want a functional province, you need to have a way for people to transport themselves and, and move around and move freight around too. That's the other, I mean, that's yeah. the other thing. It's not just people, but it's, it's products and, uh, and, uh, freight for, for company, for small businesses and companies around the province. And maybe we're 20 years too early because maybe eventually Greyhound coaches could be automated. You know, you'd, you'd remove a lot of the cost if you didn't have to have drivers or it could only run when there's demand. Like, I, I think eventually there will be a solution. I don't think communities will be permanently cut off. But I know that when you say I'm I'm here from the government, or no, how does it go? I'm from the government and I'm here to help. It makes me nervous. Oh, well, I, th- I think the government could could really help step up on this one and actually make a real difference in, in the lives of a lot of Albertans. And I, I don't think a lot of these commun- small communities can wait 20 years for Greyhound to figure out driverless cars. Well, it would be another example of the NDP should be the NDP. Let's see them bring a program forward. I agree. I agree. I think there should be a, a, a public transportation program you know, well, across the province. On that note, on the 21st, the Premier of Alberta tweeted that um, this was something the Premier's agreed on, and she's directing um, Minister Mason to build on the Rural Transportation Pilot Project Initiative to, to sort of bring to life what we've been talking about. So I think the NDP is going to NDP on this issue. Edmonton Mill Woods MP Amarjeet Sohi was part of the federal cabinet shuffle shuffle last week. Uh, Sohi was shuffled from Minister of Communities and Infrastructure, I believe, to the new or to to his new file, Minister of Natural Resources, with a specific uh, mention of him being in charge of the pipeline file. Uh, so, I mean, I thought this is quite interesting. It's the first time that uh, an Alberta MP has been appointed to the natural resources file since Anne McClellan. Uh, was Minister of Natural Resources in the early 90s. I think 93 to 97, she was Minister of Natural Resources. And then before that, uh, very briefly in Kim Campbell's cabinet, uh, an MP from Calgary named Bobby Sparrow served as Minister of, I think it was like Energy Mines and Forestry and Natural Resources or something. It had some really long really long name. Um, obviously, this is a really, I mean, it's a big file for Alberta. Pipelines are a, are a a big political issue in this province, specifically the, the, I guess, can we even call it the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline anymore? Is it's it the, the uh, Trudeau Pipeline. The now. Trudeau. The People's tra- Pipeline. Trudeau Mountain Pipeline. Yeah, the, <laughs> the People's, People's Pipeline. pipeline. Uh, it's our pipeline, guys. Yeah. We each own one thirty-five millionth of it. 
and and, uh, and doesn't that doesn't that feel good? <laughs> <laughs> it's the most property I've ever owned. <laughs> so so this is I mean this is a pretty big I mean a pretty big deal for for Emergy Tsohi. It's also a real double edged sword in terms of of how the pipeline construction goes. Um, you know I mean like he could be seen as uh, you know as kind of the savior of of, of the pipeline or, or or not savior I should say but but uh, uh, a competent minister in Com- charge of. In, tar- in charge of the natural resources file and in charge of pipelines, uh, or if this thing, if the pipeline construction continues to be stalled, um, it could be uh, something that that uh, that deals him a blow going into the next federal election next year. In that sense, it feels quite a bit like a go for broke appointment. Like, right? Well, it's yeah. clear, obviously, like it's clear mandate. Yeah, yep. and and this is about ele- the next election, and you know, will so he be able to move the needle on that? I don't know. Well, I mean, he's not actually going to be out there like building building with, with, lines. With, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not going to be out there with like a welding torch. <laughs> but it'd be a good visual. Do we have a sound effect for someone pulling out a sword or a big hammer? Yes, I can do that. Because I'm about to pull out the partisan. We need a like a partisan segment. Like a, a, a record scratch. Yeah. Okay. Like well, you know, like that hammer that uh, um, Thor has, or something like that. Yeah. We need a we need we need our audience to help us with this. Some sort of partisan, then something starts with a P. So you're about to wield the partisan hammer. The partisan power hammer. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you're about to appoint a minister who really could not deliver on many infrastructure projects into a portfolio to help build a pipeline that the prime minister himself, I think, has stumbled on by giving, by waiting way too long in the mandate before getting serious about it. By not just enforcing it, they added market on. I mean, we've talked about this. They added uncertainty to the market. They made Kinder Morgan back away. I don't see how this changes anything. They have now put Emergy Sohit in the position where if this pipeline doesn't get built in the next 11 months, he will have failed his mandate explicitly, publicly. You know, it's probably throwing Minister Sohit under the bus or under the pipeline. <laughs> so they've shuffled, they basically into moved the three ministers around in a circle. They put. Car into international trade, which has been a disaster. You know, you could blame Trump for a lot of it, but we've essentially not ratified the TPP. We're about to lose NAFTA. Then you've moved the infrastructure minister into the energy file and the trade minister into the infrastructure file. It's shuffling the decks on the good ship Trudeau. And now you've you've really put Minister Sohit in a bad place because I don't think the issue is him. The last minister was in favor of pipelines as well. Um, is Trudeau saying it's because of his cabinet that they didn't get it done? And the other issue is, while I'm wielding the partisan power hammer, we need a better word, Yeah, <laughs> is we still only have one minister for Alberta. What is it with Edmonton that this min- this prime minister just refuses to give Randy Boissano a role in the cabinet? You know, I'm while I've got the mic, I'm very excited to hear that, once again, James Cummins has been nominated for the Conservative Party. Um, he was the former Edmonton Chamber of Commerce and President CEO. He's also the chairman of the Nate Board of Governors and a private business person. James is great. I am very pleased as a partisan that the Prime Minister refuses to have Randy's back because I think we need better. I think we need a conservative in that in that seat. That is a swing seat. If you look at it, it's not safe for either of them. So if I put my if I try to be objective, I can't believe they didn't make Randy at least a junior minister. So you're putting down your partisan for a battle axe? And now I'm picking it back up to say, I'm glad. <laughs> and James, I hope you kick Randy's butt, and I'll be willing to help. 
and you're now nominated an official. Also, I don't think we've mentioned this before, but Tim Upple has been nominated to run against Amarjeet Sohit again. Yeah, I think we, we might have mentioned it in the last podcast, but yeah, that's so a strong, another former MP. Yeah, so both of them are facing very strong seasoned campaigners with high profiles. And so if the Prime Minister doesn't want to have any Edmonton MPs, I don't see how he would act any differently than what he's doing now. Okay, I, I I'm I'm not wielding a, uh, I'll a put part- it down. I, okay I'm not wielding a, a partisan uh, uh, battle axe or or battle hammer, uh, but I think I, I think it's called a war hammer. A war hammer, you thank need you. A better analogy. Yeah, what is Thor's hammer called? It's got a weird name. It does. It's Thor's hammer. Thor Town. It's called Mjolnir. Mjolnir. Okay, I'm not gonna. Well, I'll wield my my Mjolnir. <laughs> 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 um, uh, We're such nerds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thor Ragnarok, by the way, is, is one of my favorite movies. Uh, okay, first of all, I don't think that uh, appointing Amarjeet so he is. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't think appointing him to the to to the cabinet in this file is a bad thing. I think it it. Uh, I mean, bad thing for Trudeau or bad thing a bad. Th- it could be a bad thing for so he if things don't go uh, as planned because of of the double edged sword that I mentioned. We're, we're using a lot of like medieval weapons references here. I've been rewatching Game of Thrones. Okay. So I'm I'm down with it. Okay. Okay. Good. What do, what do they call it? What what are those special swords they uh, they have in from the books? Right. They're uh, like oh, Valyrian steel. No. Yeah. Valyrian. Valyrian steel. Valyrian steel. Okay. Or he's standing on the moon door, the trap door, so that if he fails in the, the airy, yeah, the king can just press a button. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Door. Okay. Okay. Uh, we're 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 giant, losing our audience. We're, we're giant nerds. Um, uh, I mean, I think appointing so he shows uh, th- how strong the commitment that the Trudeau government, how how much basically how much political capital they're putting into this pipeline. I mean, there's all there there are these conservative talking points about how oh Justin Trudeau undermined uh, undermined the the pipeline and he's not really for it. He's actually secretly against it. It's like the same people who talk about how Rachel Notley is actually secretly against the pipeline when she's after she's based her entire the success of her entire political career over the pipeline, which is just kind of a totally nuts thing to say if you ask me. Well, I've seen um, that poster of her or that picture of her though standing behind a woman holding a poster. At her a, in the background? She came to it late. Let's agree on this. She may believe it now, but she came to this late. In well, the lots of people, I mean, we could get into lots of things Jason Kenney believed 20 years ago. It's true. And, uh, you know, supposedly doesn't believe now. Uh, well, but, and Trudeau could have been firm from the beginning, but he talked about, while well, the NEB is an ineffective process, which was kind of an outrageous thing for any prime minister to say, and it also specifically discredited this project. But anyway, sorry. No, and I think that's a challenge when you're, when you, I mean, there's a difference between, you know, if you're Andrew Scheer and you're just, a, a, you know, the leader of the official opposition from a party that has, you know, most of its base in Western Canada and rural Ontario, uh, you know, you can say things and, and take positions that you you know can't really you can't really take if you're the prime minister or it's a lot more challenging if you're the prime minister of an entire country and your party is spread off spread across the country from newfoundland to british columbia and, and yeah, there are we, different political positions yeah. on those issues so the party wrestles with that too yeah it's true. yeah and I, but i think i think justin trudeau i mean i'm actually surprised he's taken a position so strongly in favor of the pipeline to go to the point of buying the pipeline which is yeah. um, i mean which is which i'm which is a massive and now he's told his new energy min- or resources minister that's the mandate. Yeah, yeah. But I, so, I think he might be consolidating risk here. If it doesn't work, he gets to lose some Alberta MP, which no one east of Saskatchewan cares about. No, but but this is my point: is that is that I mean, he, I think he, you know, I mean, he sees value in this project to the point where he's willing to put a lot, you know, more than a few of those nineteen Liberal MPs from BC their their political future on the line, uh, especially from Burnaby and from the Lower Mainland, uh, in favor of this pipeline. Which I mean. 
if you, even if it does get constructed, the Liberals might lose all their, their two seats they have left in Alberta anyway. So, I mean, I think that uh, yeah. I, I don't really buy the, the argument that Justin Trudeau doesn't actually secretly actually doesn't support the pipeline because I think he's actually put a lot of his political weight behind it. Um, I... I, I agree a bit with you. I mean, I agree with you with, with, on the Randy Boissonneau point. I think it's weird. It's strange that Randy Boissonneau was, who's the MP for Edmonton Centre, wasn't appointed a cabinet, even like a junior cabinet role. Uh, I think traditionally when the Liberals, in the previous government, uh, under Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin, they had two, there were two Liberal MPs in Alberta, and one of them was always a full cabinet minister, and the other one was a parliamentary secretary or a secretary of state, some kind of kind of junior cabinet role. And I'm yeah. talking about Anne McClellan and, and David Kilgore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Randy Boissonneau is, I think he's like the, the, he has some responsibility around LGBTQ. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Right, but that's not a... But existing, it's, but it's, he they actually took away an existing parliamentary position. He was a parliamentary. Yeah, secretary. he was a parliamentary secretary. So He's been I, down. Yeah, I think it's surprise be surprising because we did have. I mean, remember up until the time that Kent Hare, uh, there was a situ the 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 Me Too situation with Kent, with Kent Hare allegations against him. Uh, he was a full cabinet minister. Yeah. So yeah, Randy Kent, right now, according to his Wikipedia bio, is the special advisor to the PM on LGBTQ2 issues. But like that's that's nothing. Yeah, that's yeah. just like you know, he the the prime minister has an LGBTQ red phone in his uh, office and he picks it up and talks to Randy about those issues like it's they, not it's not um, it's not like he has it's like not like a, a department title. Well, exactly. Yeah. They could have they, made yeah. it an official file. They could have. If it had been maybe a function of the status of women file or multiculturalism. In fact, you could have been a parlsec for those two, reporting into each of them. Yeah. yeah. And called yeah. it Parliamentary Secretary for Diversity um, with the responsibility for LGBTQ and for women's issues. You know, like there was a way to that's, make this. That's for, actually a missed opportunity, I think. And, and it's not like Trudeau loses votes by having too many cabinet ministers. Like yeah. the Liberal Party could probably have 50 cabinet ministers and yeah. his base would be fine with it. So I don't get it, which yeah. makes me think there's a personal thing there or... He doesn't care about Edmonton, which is what I'm going to go with. Okay, well, I I I think that's that's you you Alberta, picked up you even. picked up your partisan warhammer. <laughs> uh, I and I think I think Trudeau's visited. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I I didn't vote liberal in the last election, and I I might not vote liberal in the next election. But I I uh, I mean, I give Trudeau credit for the amount of times he's actually come out to Alberta. He's probably visited in his in his three years as prime minister. He's probably visited Alberta more times than Stephen Harper did during his his uh, first three years as you, prime minister. We need a sound effect for hot takes. Yeah. And, you know, Harper's actually from Alberta. <laughs> so Dave is now wielding the partisan warhammer. No, I'm not sure which party I'm supporting. <laughs> <but> <laughs> just general. <laughs> just, yeah. in, just in general. Speaking of Stephen Harper, uh, the former prime minister has uh, been making some news over the past few months. He was, he's been traveling, well, across, across the country, across the world, doing speaking events in his, uh, his position as the, you know, what is it, the... The president or the the CEO of the Democratic Union of the World, uh, which is the kind of the the lobby group for uh, or the convention group for right wing political parties. Yeah, is I thought he was actually associated with Denton with Denton. He I is. think he is. Yeah, this is kind of like his 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 side hustle. <laughs> yeah, I think it's his way of, of staying involved Look, in politics. They it's, all do stuff like that. Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, this is the thing about Harper. It's amazing how the boogeyman of Stephen Harper motif just came back so strongly. Like people think that he, first of all, he's not the type of uh, former prime minister who comments on current 
political events, and I think that's proper. You know, you rarely see him speaking. The couple times it's come out, it was not intended to be public. So he was saying it behind closed doors. Was yeah, he gets, paid, he gets paid to give speeches. He's a consultant. He's with Denton's. I don't have it in front of me. I should have pulled it up. But have you guys ever actually looked at what Paul Martin, or sorry, what John Chan did after office? No. Like the amount of um, developing world contracts and things that would certainly be very interesting that Chan has done since retirement. I mean, no one begrudges these people from going and making money. Mm-hmm. I know I know Kim Campbell personally, and she founded the Madrid Club for former world leaders. You know, like, of course they're going to do this. This So I'm not a Bolton guy who's the current White House, what is he? National, National Security S- Advisor. So you're not a but warmonger. That, no, but that whole story of, oh, he's, he's going to the White House. This is unbelievable. He's freelancing. He's undermining the, the, the Canadian government. It's totally overblown. He went because he's part of this democratic. What is it called? IDU, International uh, Democratic Union. I think yeah. is what it's called. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like the it's like the Socialist International for Conservatives. Like, give me a break, guys. The I guess it's called the Conservative International. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'd like to be part of it. <laughs> but like, give me a break. I mean, I I think no one has to tell Stephen Harper to be careful with public statements that he is still influential. He's the last. You know, he's the most current former prime minister. No one needs to tell him he doesn't need to be undermining the government. If you actually watch his interview that he did, I think it was on Fox talking about NAFTA and and Trump. It was great. And Jer- Jerry Butts, Gerald Butts actually commented on Twitter that he did a good job. People just want to read Boogeyman into Stephen Harper. I think Stephen Harper is making money and enjoying being a thought leader and a model for actually now i'm going to really get going he's actually a model for a balanced um approach to conservatism that conservatism needs in the age of trump stephen harper rarely stoked i would say did not stoke some of the things we're seeing with this move towards strongman this move towards getting rid of democracy like the evolution of the leader in turkey and the current version of republicanism Stephen Harper wasn't that like I get that people don't like him but he would never demonize ethnic groups he didn't do I think he's a model I think the the conservative world needs more Stephen Harper not bar- less bar- barbaric practices hotline I mean come on Ryan yeah but that was well pra- praising the I mean the, since 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 he's become the, the 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 president of this international democratic union he's he's tweeted his prayers congratulations in praise of the the new uh, or the current president of Hungary who is basically a fascist yeah uh, I, don't, like, I didn't like that yeah I will admit well, I didn't like that yeah well I mean any sane person mm-hmm. probably shouldn't like that I think I think what's going on is, and this is this is, I'm, this is my prediction. I'm going out there. I'm throwing it out. I think Stephen Harper, who's only 59 years old right now, is positioning himself as an elder statesman for a potential comeback after Andrew Scheer loses the Canadian election. politics. Yeah, I think so. There's no I think chance. I think so. I think no that uh, that you know, eight years or you know, after eight years of Justin Trudeau, after Trudeau mops the floor with Andrew Scheer in next year's election. Uh, I think that uh, that Stephen Harper will be well positioned to uh, to come back. Conservatives still love him. Oh yeah, and then, I you would know, love after it. eight years of Trudeau, people are going to start to be uh, getting a little sick of the liberals, and the liberals There's... will get into their traditional kind of position where they're you know people have forgotten or people people are rem- reminded about how corrupt they are, how corrupt and and uh, and and bad they can get after being in in government for so long. Uh, I think Harper's positioning himself for a comeback. I I, I don't think so. 
I, I don't think people understand that Stephen Harper at his core is not a politician. He's a public policy guy. Politics is what he had to do to be able to do policy, but he doesn't enjoy it. Even the comparison to Brian Mulroney, who I'm also quite fond of. You know, Brian Mulroney is this figure who, when you see him get to deliver speeches again, he loves it. Oh, yeah. Like the speech he gave for his daughter's leadership rally. Um, he craves that. Harper craves influence in public policy, for sure. But he doesn't crave giving speeches to a thousand people. He doesn't do media interviews because he hates it. So I think that while that's fun to speculate on, I'm going to... You heard it here first. I'm going to bet you whatever you want to bet that that is not something that Stephen Harper has Okay, in mind. five years from now, we'll, uh, we'll see if okay, I... Okay, set if a I'm, Google calendar. Right yeah. <laughs> I did that me. once with some friends who were Flames fans, and they said Connor McDavid was going to be unrated, and I set a calendar reminder like three years later <laughs> to, to bug them about it. And it, it came up, and I had totally forgotten, and it was awesome. I nice. think I think my job is to, as producer is to throw this back in one of your faces okay. in, in five years. I'm quite confident. Okay, it okay. Well, maybe maybe Justin Trudeau will defeat Stephen Harper in 2024. <laughs> now that said, I, again, I'm not judging that Shear will lose. I I think Shear will win. But if Harper was to come back, that would be great. I think Stephen Harper was fantastic. I think that's an endorsement. Oh wow. Ryan Sorry, I'm, Hasman, getting, I'm, getting, I'm getting you in partisan trouble. Ryan right. Hasman endorsing <laughs> Stephen Harper's future candidacy. I, so I worked in the PMO for about six months. And one of the stories that I remember is I was there once, kind of late at night or whatever, working at my desk. And I was like 100 feet away from where the prime minister's desk was. This is in the Langevin block, not at Centerville. And it sounds cliche, but I had one of those experiences where I was just working away. It was pretty quiet. And like I sensed someone was standing there. But I didn't really look up because it wasn't like, you know, you're just sort of like typing. And I look up and there he was. And he was, was it like, like a cold chill down your spine? No. Or was it- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The temperature drops. No. And he's like, do you know where? And I forget who he asked for, but he asked me if I know where someone is. Like there was no, because once you're in the building, it's not like there's bodyguards and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, once yeah. you're in, you're in. Like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. I think I probably stood up and I was like, oh, uh, I don't know. Let me, t- let me help. And he's like, no, no, it's okay. Don't worry. And then he just sort of like wandered off on his own. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and then I had another, one other one. And I know this makes me sound ridiculous, but late at night during the 08 campaign, um, we were driving, we had finished the day's events. We we're on the bus heading to the hotel for the night and everyone had fallen asleep. And you look up at the very front of the bus and there's one of those overhead working lights on and he was just like reviewing speeches and late at night. Like he he really is very hardworking and he loved it. I think he loved being prime minister, but I don't think he loved it for the same reason that Brian Mulroney or me or I would love it. Like I think he just actually loved the role. Hmm. And so when he does these public policy speeches, when he speaks on NAFTA, it's because he cares. And I think he's probably really regretting not being the one there now dealing with Trump because I think he believes in free trade and how important NAFTA is. But I don't think he's out there stirring up trouble for the federal government or undermining conservative, or I'm sorry, undermining government policy. Uh, I just wanted to to end on, on one last point about Brian Mulroney. I, this, this, must, this must have been about 10 years ago or so when Brian Mulroney was doing his rehabilitation tour and he was doing like speaking events across the province. He'd, it's like the, when, across the country, he'd reemerged after being in basically political exile for, for a few years. And this was a, 
uh, uh, speaking event at the what's now known as the Transelta Art Barns in Strathcona at Edmonton. It's, and it's actually the oh. ATB Financial oh, Arts. Sorry, oh. sorry. Ooh, yes, the Alberta Treasury ATB. Uh, good correction. Good Whew. correction. Yes. I'm going to ask for a raise. <laughs> <laughs> You've earned it. Uh, so anyway, Brian Mulroney was was speaking at this event, and I think he was selling a book or something. Um, and it, you could tell, like, I, I mean, it felt like he he hadn't like been doing the it felt like he hadn't been doing the public speaking circuit for years um and you know he was a charismatic speaker you could tell like this guy'd be great at campaign rallies and i was too young to really remember brian Mulroney when he was was uh, was prime minister but he was doing this like name dropping thing so he'd like name drop oh well i was uh met with margaret thatcher and then and then when i oh and and gorbachev and he was like just constantly name dropping and then he name dropped the pope which I thought was like the supreme name drop. But you know which what's was, crazy? Which, it it felt he was kind of overcompensating at that point. It was yeah. really, it was, it was very interesting. It was very cool to be able to see him talk. But it was, it was actually kind of comical in a, in a bit of a way because, because he, yeah. he was just trying to prove himself. But it's like, dude, yeah. this room is packed. Pathology. You are the former prime minister. Yeah. Like you don't have to prove yourself. But then when, um, sorry, Barbara Bush dies, and you see the wide shot. Who's sitting beside all the presidents? Brian Mulroney. When Harry marries, uh, I can't think of her name. Kate? No, Harry's the other one. Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle. Oh, which yeah. kids are the flower girls or ring bearers or whatever? Mulroonies. Like, it, I know what you're saying. He, he has this desperate need for affirmation, which is like core to his, who he is. I can kind of relate in a way. I mean, I don't compare myself to Brian Mulroney, but I get it. Whereas Harper doesn't have that at all. Like Harper doesn't name drop. But if you watch, you know who reminds me of Mulroney too? This is probably going to make everybody mad. Bill Clinton. Do you remember at the last Democratic National Convention when Clinton gave the speech? How f- much fun he had with mm-hmm. it and how much better at it he is than Hillary was. Like, j- I don't mean comparing their record or whatever, but just... Just comfort level on the stage. Yeah, holding yeah, totally. that crowd yeah. by the like by the hand and they will just eat out of his hand. Yeah, Mulroney and Clinton both kind of need that. Like, it's, I think it must be so hard to be a former leader if you're that type of person, because you will never have that again. Like if you, what you crave is to be acknowledged publicly and to have crowds reacting and stuff, it must be hard to, to leave the game. This mm-hmm. is, it's like that. I mean, just to, to, to end, end the conversation, dropping another West Wing reference. It's uh, uh, CJ Craig. And I think the, one of the final episodes of the West Wing talked about how she was, you know, when she was living, leave, living yeah, she was living the, the first line in her obituary yeah. when she was leaving as a, uh, as press secretary for, or chief of staff, press secretary for the president. Yeah. And once you've done that, I mean, we talked about Miss Campbell. Kim Campbell was an ex prime minister at forty six. Like, imagine what that's like. Or Alison Redford. Or there's lots of stories about this where they achieved the pinnacle and they're still really young and have decades ahead of them. Yeah. So I look at example like <laughs> Joe, uh, Joe Clark was forty. Yeah, forty. Yeah. I'm almost forty. Um, Why can't I think of the? Why are you prime minister yet? What's the guy? <laughs> so you take that out. What's <laughs> Why can't I think Jimmy Jimmy Carter? Yeah, right? The last president before Reagan? Why can't yeah. I think of his name? Jimmy Carter. Yeah, you look at Jimmy Carter as an example of this too. I mean, he has actually gone on to do a lot of public service mm-hmm. with the um, Habitat, Habitat, Habitat for Humanity, Humanity yeah. stuff. As a conservative, as a partisan, it's hard to stay mad at Brian Mulroney. <laughs> like, I just love him. And when you, you come to love the GST and... <laughs> I just, you know... <laughs> I think I've told my story on the air about when he signed my book, but... He's just the kind of guy that I believe, similar to President Carter, that if you ran into him on an airplane 
or at a restaurant, he would always take time to say hi to people, to recognize the stature of what he is or what he was. And I, you know, thinking of the current occupant of the White House, is there any doubt that he's going to be a bigger jerk when he leaves? Oh, there's absolutely no doubt. Fellas, it's time to reopen the old mailbag. And I guess it's the dog days of summer. We only have one question, but it's from frequent flyer Mountain Ted. Here's what he said. In light of the growing carbon tax resistance from other provinces, have you heard anything new on this from the folks in Edmonton? And I'm assuming he's talking about our legislature. Yeah, uh, the answer is no. I mean, I don't think anybody's changed their and changed their position because of uh, because of Doug Ford. It's pretty much baked in as the iconic issue. I mean, the Notley's government's position is pretty clear, and Kenny has said if they form a government, it'll be the first thing they do is to repeal it. There, he's actually talked about having a summer session specifically to repeal it. Wow. I was at a rally once, and he told all the candidates in the room not to make vacation plans for the summer of 2018. He, he, called, it, he called it the summer of repeal, where he's going to get rid of the carbon tax and get rid of the free lunch program for kids at schools and okay. get rid of $25 a day child care and, and no, no, cancel the, the construction tax. of the new hospital in South Edmonton. Oh, it'll be a great summer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dave's got the hammer right now. Sorry, I picked up the hammer there for a second. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producer, Adam Rosenhart, for helping us to put this episode together. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting the show. There's a really great pod that was just added to the network, actually, called the Undad Podcast. I don't know if you guys have listened to it. Uh, host Trent Wilkie has actually been blogging about his experience in fatherhood uh, for a couple years now. He's got two young kids, and uh, I, I don't have any children, but listening to the show is so it's fun hmm. he tells stories about his kids he interviews other parents and he makes up like these little fictional bizarre tales that are absolutely worth the listen so uh yeah, definitely you cool, should yeah. i think you guys would really like it be a good car listen ryan all right yeah on the drive down to calgary there you go well visit the alberta podcast network.com website for the undad podcast and all of the other alberta podcast network shows and send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at at DaveBerta or on the DaveBerta Facebook page. Or you can email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. Thanks for listening. <laughs>